I was invited to teach a class at a professional skincare show. And the woman asked if I wanted to teach a wax class. And I was just going to take anybody from the audience and wax them, any body part. And this was before Brazilians. Well, we weren't even thinking about doing Brazilians. That's been quite the show. <laughs> right. I'll get to that one in a minute. Hey you, welcome to Her Defined, the podcast dedicated to the woman who's still trying to figure it all out when it comes to her career. I'm your host, Juliana, who has just as ambitious career goals as you do. So let's achieve ours together. Join me each week for a conversation with a compelling businesswoman or entrepreneur. Keep listening as I'm sure her advice and insight will assist you in defining your own means of success. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Her Defined. I had such a great conversation with Lori Nestore. If you are in need of a laugh, if you are in need of good insight and advice when it comes to the beauty and self-care industry, then this episode is for you. So keep on listening. Lori Nestori is the co-founder of Tuel Skincare and Baradin Wax. She is a cosmetologist, an esthetician, a waxing specialist, and a highly sought-after educator who lives in California. She was first recognized for her superiority in waxing treatments and training 30 years ago and continues to lead the American waxing world today. Nestori now shares her secrets of the trade with waxing professionals around the world. In this episode, she dives into her family history and how her mother, skincare pioneer Ava Friedrichs, created Tuel based on the belief that good skincare contains only the best that nature has to offer. Lori's mom believed in living a healthy lifestyle way before we knew what things like non-GMO, organic, and chemically free really meant. Lori discusses how she took over the family business with her sister and was able to ensure all family members were happy and at peace with this transition. She talks about the best way to have a fight with your business partner because Lori says it's going to happen. She gives tips on how to find the right education that works best for you and particularly your learning style. She discusses prioritizing parts of her business that may have seemed pointless or futile in the beginning, but actually paid off and generated a larger return and investment for the brand. She also talks about how she mentored and helped bring, you know, that really famous skincare brand Youth to the People to life in addition to launching in Sephora and so much more. Let's start off uh, by talking about your mom. She advocated for the separation of aesthetics and cosmetology licensing. Why was that so crucial? And also, what else has she accomplished? Well, the story of mom, of course, you know, it's fascinating because it's my mother, but even from a non-relation aspect, she, as the mother of seven children, went to work with my father when I was 12. So her youngest was six. And she did that because we moved into an area that was very expensive. And my dad was a hairdresser and he was not Videl Sassoon. She immediately got into doing hair color and then makeup and then the palette on which makeup is put upon. And when you're talking, I mean, that was the 60s. So they're, the only thing that even remotely sounded like skincare in, in the United States was maybe Avon. And she got into doing facials and skincare in an era before 
day spas and facials really existed in the United States. She did everything all out. There was nothing she did that was casual. So when she got into doing skincare, she just jumped in. And at this time, my oldest sister had also gone to work at the salon. Between my sister and my mother, they told my dad, go do something else. And he went off to do a multi-level protein and vitamin supplement company. And my mother and sister took the company, the salon, from a three-chair salon to a 4,000-square-foot, 10 aesthetic rooms, 46 employees in the late 60s. From there, then mom got her teacher's license. And from there, my family bought two beauty schools. And from there, mom thought, I never want to do hair. Why do I have to go through 800 hours of hair training when I only want to do skin? And so she thought it best to be able to focus exclusively on the task you want, which was nails or skin or hair, which covers everything. So that was her that was her impetus was there's no reason for me to learn about hair when I really just want to do skincare. Right. And that's pretty remarkable, I think, for her first off to acknowledge, okay, I'm I've I've done this, but I want to branch out and and do something else as also to even have the autonomy to be like, I want to have my own profession. Even back then, I feel like that's so significant during the time frame. So many people, I'm just going to say age 30 and under, really have no idea how in the not distant at all past, what things were like right there. and. I remember my mother having, at our beauty salon, having lectures for women, and these were clients. These were not professional estheticians. These were salon clients because the women were going into the workforce, and they were starting to say, I'm freaking exhausted. I'm doing all the home, all the kids, and now I'm building a career. And I remember my mom talking about how in a double income family, the first jobs to get hired seemed to be the boy jobs. Let's get the yard and garden taken care of, boy job, right? And how mom said, it's time to hire a housekeeper. And a lot of the women at that point were uncomfortable. Does that make me a bad housewife? Anything. And my favorite, one of my favorite things mom said was, getting somebody to clean your house doesn't make you a bad anything. It gets you a clean toilet. (laughs) Yeah. And we're still there today, though. Yeah, we are still freaking there today. I mean, it's 2021. And last year, women in women's careers took a dive. Right. Very true. Talking about how your mom was was an educator, she was almost, you could say in a sense, like the first influencer of the time. Right. Because she held seminars on how to be successful within the skincare industry. In your opinion, what's the key to success within the skincare industry? I don't think there's any one given key. I think for sure you have to be passionate. One thing that I love about the skincare industry is that you cannot be false or fake 
you can't really go into it without having some kind of ethics. Like you have to care about people's skin because you can be the best salesperson in the world. And this is what I tell my professional clients. You can't rip people off. They won't come back. So don't ever feel like you're being pushy or, or feel guilty about trying to sell something to a customer that their skin needs. If you, if, if they feel pressured, they're not going to come back. So you really can't be, you can be a great salesperson, but you can't rip people off. You can't get pushy. Your clients will just simply not come back. So for me, the thing about skincare is you just have to be really passionate about skincare. And I also feel like since skincare and cosmetology, it's very like a vulnerable state. I've dealt with a lot of like skincare issues in the past. So going to get a facial done, I'm like so embarrassed or scared of showing my authentic self or my skin. Right. So to be able to open up to someone else, it takes a lot. It does. I think we estheticians are uh, so much better at that than the medical world because mm-hmm. we take you into our loving arms and we lay non-needy hands which is a really powerful touch. It's not a lover. It's not a child. It's something that I'm going to do because you you need it. Yes, you are in a vulnerable position, but I think we, we're very good at that. We should be. Definitely. Reflecting on your past, what's your fondest memory of growing up with your family and watching the creation and growth of the family businesses? You know, that's actually a funny question because growing up was hell. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. Okay. Maybe not your fondest memory. (laughs) As an adult is when it started happening for me. I mean, um, as I said, we lived in a really rich town. My dad was a hairdresser. We were not rich at freaking all. And at that point it was very common to hear your dad's a hairdresser. Is he gay? You know, how do you even handle that as an well, I know I was always a loudmouth and outspoken and feisty and I never really cared, but it's like, well, with seven children, I don't think so, but I'll have to ask. <laughs> For me to witness and start to grasp what we had done as a family really didn't happen until I was in my middle 20s. I mean, I started working at the salon under my father, illegally doing shampoos and manicures and stuff when I was 12. And then became a junior operator and got my license in my early 20s when my sister and mother were running it. To watch the salon go from a tiny little chair. And when we took over the last space where we were, 4,000 square feet, we actually rented out the first 2,000 square feet when you walk in the door to a boutique, clothing boutique, and then took the whole thing over. And my family being who they are, we were the ones that did all the construction. We were a do-it-yourself family. So a hundred rolls of wallpaper later, I swear I'm never doing that again. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. Especially to do all that hard work when you're in the thick of it, you're probably like cursing and like, holy shit, why did we ever think to do this? But then looking back on it. Yes, I'm going to pay somebody to come take my place, mom. <laughs> exactly. So, you and your sister Lisa have now taken over to Well Skincare. Where did that name originate from? 
So the parent company is Eva's Aesthetics and my mother is Eva. We also used to call the product Eva's Aesthetics, but you can't decorate. You can't trademark. It's too many, too many characters to decorate with. Although now what's funny in the world of, of naming something, the names of products are phenomenally long. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. But at that point, it just, we didn't have the money to know how to do it. And when it came time to repackage, we had a trademark attorney tell us to make something up. And so 2L stands for two L's, Lisa and Lori. And that's how 2L came about. Very simple, but yep. to the point. <laughs> yeah. Which then, of course, the rest of the siblings were all, what about the T's and the J's? <laughs> <laughs> so when your mom essentially passed down the company to the two of you, what was what were those feelings like? What was that experience like? Because there are seven of us and because when mom passes, there needs to be fully no contesting the company, her will, nothing. We are a very tight-knit family. So Lisa and I actually bought the company from her and we started that in 2013. We settled on a much inflated price so that we financially paid the estate. And so when mom passed, the legacy was in her estate, not in the company. And we actually just finished paying the rest of the siblings for the price of the company in September of last year. So it made them all very happy. They understood it. We were able to buy it from mom and she didn't have to pay taxes. That was lovely. We didn't have to take out a loan to buy it from her. That was lovely. And then and then we when we were talking about the ownership of it, we now truly own it without any weirdness, any reservations. We bought it. We bought it at a great price for the siblings to be happy with it. That's really nice, especially since you have such a tight knit family. Stuff like that can really break families, honestly. Yeah. It's almost essentially everybody has a piece. They do. They absolutely do. Yeah. So you work closely with your sister, Lisa, and I've had a sister duo on the podcast before, and they said the key to working with your sister is you must really like one another. <laughs> what <laughs> is your advice on doing business with your sister? Learn the different styles of communication. I We are fully different people. I am front of the house and operations. She is creative behind the house and operations. So we are 100% different. I'm a knee-jerk instant decision. She marinates on things. It took a couple of years. Like she would be nervous about talking to me about something. Lori, I want to do this. And I'm, no. And that doesn't mean, <laughs> which also doesn't mean it's the final no for me. I mean, that's just my personality. I'm like, absolutely not. But let's keep talking about it. Like we have had full on battles. The best way to have a fight is to go for a walk and fight it out. It's much better than sitting in the same room. Because when you're walking, you're not really staring at each other, all that intense focus. And to say you're never going to have a disagreement, it's just, if that's true, then there's no passion. Right. True. 
it took a while. At the end of the day, we always knew we love each other. We like each other. We hang out. We do things. I mean, I have three siblings that live within a very short distance, and we do things together all the time. It was working through the uncomfortable parts and also finding both of our voices and roles. Like, what is the defined role? And then starting to come into, like, when it comes to the creative, I'm not creative. I'm just not. I have, you know, two or three great ideas a year. That's it. Lisa has them all the time. And then Lisa also has super detail, super attention to detail. So when it comes to editing something, I'll do a, you know, I'm a speed reader. Yep, looks good, except for that word's wrong. Somehow I'll pick out something. And she'll go through and say the spacing and that comma is wrong. And like, she's super detailed, which if both of us were, nothing would get done. And if both of us were big picture, it would all be wrong. I definitely agree. It's you two obviously complement each other very well. Yeah, very much so. Why is education so important? And for those listening and working within the self-care aesthetics, cosmetology industry, how can they acquire the right education? I think any education is the right education as long as you filter out what works for your brain style. If you're a professional aesthetician, for example, if you go to classes by all brands, not just the brand you use, you can take training that another brand provides and apply it to your own products. Interacting with other professionals is critical so we can bounce things off each other, see how we all do things. Whether you're somebody that reads, I think research on the internet, like as terrible as this may sound, if you can stay off Instagram for professionals, it's fun to look at, but do not take things for the professional world from what you see non-professionals do on Instagram. A lot of times I'll be at somebody's aesthetic room and I'll say, well, how come you're doing this? And they will say, well, I saw it on Instagram. Girl, you're not, you're not, you're, you're retail. Come on, you're killing me. I'd like to see the research behind that, please. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. Elaborate on your experience and the logistics of becoming a licensed cosmetologist. Um, as I said, I went to work at my dad's salon when I was very young. So then going to cosmetology school at 19, when I had been at the salon since I was 12, was foreign. It's a completely different world. I went there for 400 hours and then said, I can't do it and went back to the salon. And at that point, <laughs> school's not my strong suit. And at that point in California, there was a thing called the junior operator program. And you could actually work at the salon for two years. One of the professionals there would be targeted as your instructor. And you took the same test. It was the same exact test with everybody else that had gone to school. So I got my Cosmo license by, by being a junior operator at the salon. Wow. Talk about f finding the right education for your brain type. Right? <laughs> yeah, I like it. It's creative. It's good. If it works for you, then. Yeah, then it works. So part of your career is to educate, whether it be with 2L or wax or your waxing business. What skills are required to be an effective educator, do you think? A lot of people will approach me and say, I want to be an educator. I actually find them and pick them out. For me, it's a style of confidence. 
It's the it, and confidence into being able to say to somebody, I have no idea when they ask a question, like being able to say, I don't know, that's a really good question. Let me think about it for a minute or let me see if I can find the answer and I'll get back to you. To be able to not take things personally, if somebody wants to challenge you to just go with the role and then also know when to say, I'm actually teaching the class, sit your ass down. So your nephew is the co-founder of You to the People, correct? Greg and Joe, both of them. They attribute your work ethic and business expertise to their success and innovation. What was your involvement in seeing that recognized brand come to life? Um, what a fun journey, because, of course, now Youth to the People is 10 times the size of the parent company. Mm -hmm. It's pretty fun to see. Joe was working here in sales full time. Lisa and Greg, as they are, they're the creatives. Joe and I really are like each other, Lisa and Greg. I mean, Greg is Lisa's son, which Joe is not mine, but that's all kind of a separate story. In many ways, Joe and I are sales, business, logistics. Greg and Lisa are creative business logistics. It started with the conversation of we're drinking smoothies. Why don't we take these superfoods, these smoothies, and put them into skincare and develop it for the retail world? The fun part, of course, it's only fun looking back. <laughs> yeah, because then it was, are you out of your mind? But <laughs> I, we, I thought it was a good idea. We all thought it was a really good idea. Eva's aesthetics at that point was really struggling financially. There is no business person that would have looked at our company and said, we think you should start a new company. That's a fantastic idea. You're not paying your current vendors. You're going to incur new expenses. Great idea. And we did. It's the stuff that dreams are made of, isn't it? And getting a phone call from Lisa and saying, we need to have professional pictures of the products done, like we can't do it ourselves. Here's the price of the photo shoot. And she had never been involved in a photo shoot. I had with Eva's Aesthetics. So I was able to say, that's actually not a terrible price. And then biting the bullet and saying, in order to launch a, com a company, we have to take on a PR company. We can't just put it on, create a website and say, ta-da. If we're going to do this, we have to invest in a PR company, again, paying them a healthy monthly fee when we were not currently paying all our vendors on time. And then landing Sephora, which takes you from quantity of three to quantity of 30,000 overnight. This was before the companies were split. There were some pivotal moments where my nephew, Joe, who is the sales driven who says to us, well, we just closed Sephora Europe and I almost died. I, I became like out of my mouth, open my mouth, out walks my mother. Are you crazy? This is going to shut us down. We can't fulfill us. I mean, and it went to the absolute last minute before we took on some venture capital, some VC for, and, and separated the companies. We had a, uh, a holiday party with both companies. And we knew it was the only time we were going to be able to have both companies under one roof because we knew you to the people was going in a super upward trajectory. And so here we have this big party and all the time I'm thinking we have two weeks before we close 
if this funding doesn't come through. I mean, down to the wire. That's crazy. And talk about like you were in the moment of you can't really even like pay bills. And then this company just like skyrockets and you can't even fulfill. Right. It, it, it is pretty crazy. When the company separated, when we took on some funding, then Greg and Joe fully went there. And Eva's aesthetics was left almost shell-shocked from this crazy, short insanity. I mean, we, there, was, there was a time, we had a, fair, we had a small office, and we fill, bottle, label, we do it all in-house. And so once again, we went from, you know, we got an order for 50,000 samples. Are you kidding me? We had, we called them the kids. We had the children, cousins, and relatives of every employee in the warehouse, labeling, packaging, boxing. We couldn't even walk down our hallways. It was like, it was wild. That's so crazy, but it's also really nice to, you don't really envision what goes on behind the scenes no. of a company. You just think, oh, they have it all figured out. It's smooth sailing. No idea, no idea. Listen, there was a time in Eva's aesthetics after my mom retired and I took it over that I put a second on my house to make payroll. You do whatever you effin have to do. So you were also known as the wax queen. How did you get into waxing and what do you love most about it? You know, as a, as a sarcastic aside, I like hurting people and getting paid for it. There's something <laughs> good about that, but being very, very skilled at what is an uncomfortable service is great for the customer. For me, I got into waxing in high school, absolutely abused my sisters. We were just bringing it on in the salon. Friends and family tortured them. And I am mechanically inclined. So I did figure out what is the best way to do this. I was invited to teach a class at a professional skincare show, and the professional skincare shows were also just beginning in the country. And the woman asked if I wanted to teach a wax class. And I said, sure, I've never had stage fright. That's not an issue. I'd written an article. I knew what my lecture was going to be. And then I was just going to take anybody from the audience and wax them, any body part. And this was before Brazilians. Well, we weren't even thinking about doing Brazilians. That's been quite the show. <laughs> right, I'll get to that one in a minute. So um, my first class I taught had about 75 people in the class. And I remember asking, so who here is familiar with waxing? Every hand went up. I went into this little mental spiral of, oh, my God, what can I tell them? Well, and of course, as many years later, when I had one woman say, I've been waxing for 20 years and now I can say, but you still suck. Let's start to figure out what it is you're doing that might make you a little better of a technician. And she named me the wax queen. She gave me an award for a class for best aesthetic class and said, and she is the wax queen. And it's stuck. And here I am. Amazing. So did you actually ever do a Brazilian on stage? We will fast forward to the Brazilian. And that's been here maybe 15 years. And I knew I'm the wax queen. I'm the one that's going to have to teach the industry how to wax crotches. <laughs> and I 
said, okay, I'm going to do my first Brazilian. I got a woman that would fly with me and be my model. Mm-hmm. And the name of the class was Nook, Cranny, and Crack Waxing. Oh my gosh, that's actually really great. And the <laughs> and the show promoter emailed or called me and she said, are you really calling it this? I said, yes, I am, because they have to know what they're walking into. Right. There's no surprises there. And And the first class... The first class, you know, I'm waxing the woman and there's a woman in the front row and she's like this. She says, wow, you're so close. I said, I am not close, honey. I am there. And then moving into now guys are getting waxed. And so now I'm going to teach a male Brazilian. I had a conversation with this guy that was in the business for a year to get him to model. Please be model. Please be model. I need to do a demo. Please be model. And this might be absolutely TMI for your audience, so we don't care, do we? No, we don't. It's okay. (laughs) When he got on my table to get waxed, everything had shrunk up inside his body. He was so nervous. What? (laughs) And and afterwards, as I worked on him and his penis got more relaxed and it came out of its shell and now looked like a normal (laughs) penis. And... You know, I'm I'm there and I'm the only one that can see it and I'm looking at it because normally you just, you know. You do your business. Yeah. You do your business. <laughs> and afterwards, he said, I was so scared that I might get an erection that it just crawled up inside my body. I've never seen it before. <laughs> the opposite happened. What? We, I swear to God, we laughed for about a half hour after that. That is hilarious. Yeah. But <laughs> it graduated from a class with just... 20, 30, 40 people to four or 500 and me working with a camera and a screen. And then I made videos. And the fun thing about that was um, when I made, I called it the whole ball of wax, which was absolutely head to toe, including Brazilians. And when I had them made, and now I had them in CD and DVD, whatever they're called. Yeah. (laughs) Those old things. Those old things. And I would be at a trade show. I would meet uh, instructors from beauty schools and just donate them. So I donated them to schools all across the United States. And then I became famous in the industry because I taught everybody how to wax. Kind of without thinking about that aspect, I thought it would be a good tool for the teacher. I didn't think it was going to make me famous or infamous within the industry. So all the companies that you are involved in really capture a lifestyle and an essence. What is your advice or marketing tips for listeners trying to sell their brand? I think you have to know who you are when it comes to professionals, aesthetic professionals. We have to know who we are and then we have our place of business wherever our place of business ends up being. And then you need to find out where your place of business is and who's the clientele around that. And you also have to not ever be afraid to be yourself. In the beauty industry, we do have flexibility to be absolutely wild, creative, conservative, square, doesn't matter. We never have to not be ourselves. We have to remain true to us. Our clients will be like us or like us, one or the other. How do you define yourself in relation to your career? I think they coexist. In a different lifetime, I would have been a performer because there's many different reasons. 
So I took my performance personality onto the stage in aesthetics. So that part of me for sure got fulfilled and gets fulfilled. What I really, really love about my position and what we do at Eva's Aesthetics, we teach 99% women how to be financially successful in an industry they love. And it's a powerful thing. I mean, it's all fine to say, and I taught them how to do a facial. That's all fine. But I taught them how to understand a profit and loss how to understand how much money they want to make and how to make that, how to send their kid to college, how to buy a house, how to go on a vacation, doing something they love. That's a powerful thing to give. Can you describe a typical work day or what does a work week look like for Lori? Right now it's in flux. What I over I, I oversee sales and then I oversee salon education. And then I co-oversee school school and in-house education with Lisa. And then we have a director of education. So it's overseeing operations as far as working with our operations manager for warehouse, but also um, sales. And the salon training program is when somebody invests in our product line and we send a trainer to their site for three days and we do in-house training and it's not how to do a facial it's not product knowledge it is the logistics and ergonomics of your business it's setting up your room so it makes sense which people don't understand they have too much stuff it's in the wrong place it's not easy to do your job we teach them how to do a PL so they do understand what they're making my day and week Right now, I'm also doing salon trainings, which I don't normally do, but my main trainer has a sick child and she cannot for a while. So I I go back into it. It is a training that I created that I started. And um, the funny thing about when I go back into doing it, which I had to last year and then I had to two years ago, and then I had to again this year, was that I go back in kicking and screaming. However... I learn more every time and the trainings get better for my training staff every time. So I know no matter what, that every year I should do a couple of them. What do you think is more important? You talked a little bit about this, but I want to get your exact answer. Do you think working in aesthetics or cosmetology or the self-care industry, hard work or passion? I think there has to be both. I like that. Because passion unbridled is useless. Hard work without passion is just labor. There's also the work hard, work smart. I think a lot of people um, are not great at working smart. They're busy, busy, busy. They're not necessarily stop the spinning. Again, because women are so much our industry and women say things like, I'm not good at math. Well, neither am I, but I've got a calculator. Are you kidding me? Who's good at math? Scientists are good at math. It's the most stupid, undermining female thing. I mean, females just, we just are dumb to ourselves. We're not dumb. We're dumb to ourselves. We inhibit our power. We say things that are just self-inhibiting and so unnecessary. So I'm not good at math. Yes, neither am I. That's why I have a spreadsheet with all the formulas filled in. 
put your numbers in. And um, I'm terrible at books. You don't have to be a bookkeeper. You don't have to be an accountant. It's the most simple filing system, you know, whether it's on your computer or physical, it's nothing. You just have to do it. When do you feel most powerful and strong? Hmm. When I have some guy's balls in my hands that I'm waxing. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Or I love it. <laughs> I would agree. I would probably feel the same way too. Um, professionally speaking, <laughs> probably when I see an individual's light, mental light go on and they know they can be omnipotent in their own world. They are not dependent upon anybody for anything. They can do it all themselves. That's a very cool thing. What are you working on? What are you excited about? And what are you looking forward to? Well, we are always working on new products. So Lisa and I are working on some new products, which of course I can't talk about. Right. But it's super <laughs> fun. It's super fun to do that. Mm -hmm. um, we are learning how to trade shows of course, in 2020, we're not. And for a very, very long time, we thought trade shows, well, we knew trade shows were where we met 70% of our clients. Well, in today's world, that's 100% not true. And the thing about 2020 is it taught people how to do business in a fully different way. So what happened for us was we didn't do any trade shows we took all of that funding that would have gone to trade shows and we put it into marketing and social media and it's much less expensive and it's where today is working towards continuing on in that vein, even though the trade shows are crazy and fun and all of that insanity. I told somebody the other day, I said, we can actually hire an individual at a good salary and have one year salary for what one trade show will cost. And that's hard to argue with. If you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to support is by liking, following, rating, or reviewing on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am entirely grateful to those that have already left a review or have reached out to me. I'm always open to chatting on Instagram, so hit me up at Her Defined Podcast. Today's episode has been produced by yours truly, Juliana Della Costa, and edited by Carolina with Swell Podcasting. Be sure to check back next Tuesday for another episode to hear her stories, hear her advice, hear her defined. <laughs>